I, I was 41 years in one church, and, you know, in 2017, God began to stir in my heart about a change. And when I announced that to our, our church family, there was shock. Okay, what's this all about? How, you know, our, our pastor's not, a, well, I'm, I'm getting older, but I wasn't old. And I could have continued on pastoring for a while, but God was stirring in my heart, making a change. There was somebody standing in the wings ready to take that work and do a great job. And so I'm just simply saying that these changes come, you have to learn how to deal with it. And God's got a plan. It's much bigger than you and I, and I'm telling you, uh, you'll be surprised how God will work even through this change in the administration here of the college. It'll be a wonderful thing, and certainly we're praying for the Lesters as they make that change. I know it's difficult for them as well. Their heart is here, but God is doing a great work, and we want to encourage that. So I want to encourage that. Let me also mention to you, I don't know how many folks listen to the podcast. I do have one. Put a little plug in here today. It's called Labors for the Harvest. And uh, what I basically do on my podcast, I just interview folks who are in the work of the ministry because everybody's got a story and everybody's got a journey. And uh, so we interview these folks because what happens is there are people sitting in churches who think, you know, I could never do that thing called ministry. I'm so insignificant. My life is, it really doesn't matter. But I'm telling you that uh, everybody has a story how God has led them. And so basically that's what our podcast is all about, talking about folks, the journey that God has taken them on. And so if you want to be encouraged, uh, most of our podcast is about 20 minutes. And most of the time my conversations with folks uh, span a couple of different weeks. It normally drops on Tuesday. It's on Apple and Spotify and all the major uh, podcast venues. But it's called Labors uh, in the Harvest. And again, just look for my name, Kevin Folger, and you'll find it. But I think it'll be an encouragement to you if you're talking about and thinking about, hey, God's going to do something in my life. I, I want to encourage you to be a part of that, if you would. And uh, Pastor Chapel's been on there just recently. Uh, Brother Tony Shirley, who pastors down in North Carolina, was uh, on. And I think we started this week. Brother Dwight Tomlinson is coming. And we've been with him. And, and then uh, Brother Ken Fielder with Worldview Ministries. And so we just talked to these various people about how God's worked in their life to help them. In, in the work that God has given them to do. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you meet me this morning, please, in the book of Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 14. We'll read down to verse number 21. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. If you found your place and you can stand, let's stand, please. Let's give reverence to God's Word this morning. We'll begin reading in verse number 14. We'll read down to verse number 21. And the Bible says, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, Lord what? Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, and oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. Notice verse 16, and I brought him unto thy disciples, and notice the phrase, they could not cure him. They could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now look at verse 19. Then came his disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Why, why weren't we able to do this? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and that shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Verse 21, how be it, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the privilege and opportunity to stand on this platform once again and behind this pulpit and to open your word and declare its truth. Holy Spirit of God, how we need your power today. How we need your anointing on this message. And Lord, you know we want to be a help and an encouragement to the student body and to the faculty here and to the pastor and to these dear people. Lord, I pray that you just do work in our hearts today. Help us to say everything we should say for we ask your blessing now in this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Well, on the opening part of this particular chapter, which we didn't read, you would find that as we begin to read the first couple of verses that Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John apart. They were up on the mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a mighty moment in the life of these three disciples. This inner circle, if you would, had followed Jesus to that mountain. And there the Bible says that he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured is the word that we, uh, in the Greek language, that we get our word metamorphosis from. It basically means a complete and total change. It, it means from a change, if you would, from the inside out. And, and so Jesus was transfigured. You know, we find a picture of that transfiguration. You know, the transfiguration of Jesus is not just for Jesus alone. There's coming a day when you and I are going to make a change. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the fact that this mortal shall put on immortality and uh, this uh, uh, corruption shall put on incorruption and we shall be changed. That's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians. You know, the only reason we can be changed is because there's a Savior who changes us. And, and so we, we understand that change. And so they got a, a glimpse, if you would, a precursor of Jesus and his glory uh, for the obviously Jesus during his lifetime was God in the flesh but he kept that glory if you would veiled inside the temple of his body but there on that Mount of Transfiguration it was put on display for them to see and and I'm telling you that hey there's a day coming when God's gonna change us and, and by the way I, I have to believe we're very close Man, as I'm watching all these world events and I'm seeing all the things that are happening in our world, I have to think, man, we're on the very cusp of the coming of Jesus Christ and that moment in which, hey, the, the dead in Christ shall rise and this mortal shall put on immortality. And I'm excited about that. I hope you are, that you're excited about the fact that Jesus is soon to come. Hey, isn't it a wonderful thing to serve on the welcoming committee of the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory that he's soon to come and, and all, this, all the nonsense that's in our world soon will be over with and King Jesus will sit upon his throne here on this earth and will reign for a thousand years and after that's over with it's all eternity with Jesus and God in heaven what a blessing that is and so because of this change it's a mighty thing so in the opening of this chapter it gives us a glimpse of this glorious future that awaits the redeemed in every saved person and it's all because of Jesus think about that it's all because of Jesus man think about your life today Everything that's good in your life is because of Jesus, because of your faith, because of what he's done in your life. And, and so it's all because of him. And so we think about that. Now, let's think about our text for just a moment. So that's the opening of, of chapter 17. But in our text, it shows us, if you would, the struggle of living life right now in this world. Uh, there are issues that are play in this world. And uh, we're living in an unclean world in, in some respects. It's dominated by, uh, by a king, uh, an ungodly king, an, an unholy king. And his name is, is Satan, the devil. Now, here's what we need to know. The only way that you and I can hope to make a difference. By the way, we're supposed to be difference makers. But the only way that you and I can hope to be a difference, make a difference in this world as believers is having a power in us that is greater than the power that's around us. And God has given us the ability for us to have that power. That power is available 
But let me make this statement. In order to have the power of God, it doesn't come cheaply. There is a price to be paid if you want the power of God upon your life. And we must understand that today. I don't know about you, but I I live in a world that is so fallen and so tainted and so corrupt. And and it's pulling on us in every direction. And I don't want to be influenced by it. I want to be an influencer on them. And the only way that I can make that happen is if I have the power of God working actively in my heart and my life. And so we need to understand that. So in the text, we find that Jesus and his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, have been up on this mountain, and now they're coming back. And on their way back, as they're approaching the disciples that have been left behind, they're seeing, if you would, a a controversy. Uh, There's some things that are at play as they're approaching this group. And as they do, Mark's gospel, in his record of this, he mentions that Jesus came to his disciples and he saw a great multitude about them. That's what he says. And the scribes were questioning them. Then Mark says that when the crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and ran to him. So, again, I want you to mind, understand, hey, these guys have just had this major uh, movement up on the mountain. They've seen Christ and his glory. Now they come back to the world in which they're living, and there's a controversy, and and it's stirring around them. Notice the description that is found in our text, if you would, this morning. Notice that they find, as they're coming, a certain man from the multitude, and he approaches Jesus with an important request. Look at that, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 17. And when they were come to the multitude, there came a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. Notice this phrase, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. So I think we would agree that here's a father who's looking at his child, looking at his son, and I mean, his, his heart is breaking because his son's got a problem. Now, I'm a father. God has given me three sons, and they're all adult men. Those sons have married and have given us 10 grandchildren. Number 11's due this week, next week, anytime soon. And, and I have to tell you, because I'm a father who loves his children, there isn't one thing that happens in the life of my kids or my grandkids that doesn't impact me. Man, man if you have the right heart, it's, if you're saved and you love God and your, your children, they're precious to you. And so here's a father whose son is in a sore way, in a difficult situation. And and this boy, according to Luke chapter 9, verse 38, is his only child. That's what it says. So it's not like he's got several children. No, this is his only son. And this only son, he's got a real difficult situation going on in his life. And it records that this problem, Mark records that this boy has had this problem since he was a child. So this is not just some situation that recently has come on him. You know, in pastoring for all those years in Cleveland, there were times when people in our congregation went through some very difficult things with their children. I remember specifically, uh, not long ago, we had uh, a young couple in our ministry. They'd both grown up there. Uh, He had graduated from college, came back and was teaching for us. Uh, His wife had grown up in the ministry, and and, uh, she went through our Christian school, went away and got her nursing degree and was a a, a pediatric uh, intensive care nurse. And and they had a little little son, and then they had a little girl. And the little girl, uh, she wasn't even a year old, and just... All of a sudden, she was having some problems, and they took her to, a, to the hospital emergency room because of the issues that were going on. And, and I have to tell you, she had a major brain tumor. And, and that child, before she was one years old, had two major brain surgeries. And then she went through chemotherapy and all that stuff. And before her second birthday, she ended up going to be with the Lord in heaven. How difficult. 
And how your heart breaks when your children have a problem. And I'm, I'm saying to you, some of you don't know that. You're children right now. You're daughters. You're sons of someone. But at some point, you're going to marry it. You know, by the grace of God, you'll have children. And when they have a problem, I'm telling you, it, it bends you. It, it, it breaks you. It, it molds you. It makes you. And this man is dealing with a problem in the life of his son. And from what's stated here, this problem has manifested itself both in physical and in a spiritual way. And we read a little further the text, and it points out this young man's physical and emotional problems stem from having a devil. It wasn't that he just had a mental imbalance. I mean, honestly, you know, the, the Bible's very clear that he, uh, from here that this boy is sometimes walking along, sees a fire and says, hey, I'm going to jump in it. Sees a lake and says, I'm going to go drown myself. And obviously he's mentally disturbed, but the, the, the situation stems from the fact that the devil is oppressing, the devil is possessing him and wants to destroy him. And I suppose that in his body, if he's had this from a child, and the Bible says off, he's thrown himself in the fire. Don't you have to imagine he's got marks on his body, perhaps scars from the burns? I'm telling you, this child's life was a wreck. His life was a mess. And his father is burdened. His heart is breaking. And then someone says, Man, hey, 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 there's word that there's a, a teacher, a, a, a Messiah that has been here. Our, our Messiah has showed up. His name is Jesus, and he's doing miracles. And here's a father says, man, if I can somehow get my son to Jesus, what a moment that would be that his life could be revolutionized and changed and impacted so this attack, and so notice, please, the text implies that this man shows up, and the implication is that he showed up when Jesus is on the mountain. He's not there with the rest of the disciples. And so he brings them, this child, to his disciples, thinking that maybe, just maybe, those disciples can help him. That brings me not only to the description, but notice, if you would, secondly, the disappointment we find a disappointment in this text, don't we? Look at verse 16. Notice what it says. And I brought him to the disciples. Notice the phrase, they could not cure him. They could not cure him. So this man, father has to be sorely disappointed. I, I don't know how far he's traveled. I don't know how far he's come. How, how far he's had to drag this child along the way with this demon. But he finally gets him to the point where Jesus should be. And Jesus isn't there, but his disciples are there. And he's thinking, man, there's some help here. And the indication is they tried. They tried to help him. But they were powerless, or they didn't have the power, if you would, to cast out the demon. And so there's a disappointment on the heart of the Father. But what you notice also, there's not just a disappointment on the heart of the Father, but there's a disappointment on the part of the Lord. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Let me just kind of bring this down to where we live today. There's a hurting world outside the walls of our church. I don't care what size church or what community you come from. Some of you perhaps come from small little places that are maybe wide spots in the road and maybe one traffic light. Others perhaps like myself come from major cities. But no matter where you are, there's people outside the walls of the church and 
and, and they have problems and they have difficulties and, and life has been harsh. And, and I'm telling you that when you don't have Jesus in your life, life is di- difficult enough but if, uh, with Jesus. But when you don't have him in your life, I'm just telling you that life can become a train wreck. How many folks know who Mike Lindell is, the owner of My Pillow? all right? On the airplane, I've been reading his biography, and I'm telling you, it's fascinating. This man's life, you talk about a train wreck. This guy's life was a train wreck. And, and, and his life was drugs and alcohol and gambling and, and just, uh, again, a mess. And, and I'm telling you that that's not untypical in the world in which we're living. People's lives are, are a mess today. And as we think about it, uh, they, oftentimes the world at some point will be drawn and saying, you know, there's something that's lacking in my life. And the Holy Spirit begins to, to draw them and brings them perhaps to a church. And many times they have expectations that they're going to find hope. And what they find sometimes is they walk away from professed Christianity with disappointment. There's a disenchantment. And it happens because the way many Christians live their lives and churches operate their ministry, and it leaves them disenchanted. I thought I could find hope here. I thought I could find help here. But what I find going on in this church is nothing more than a circus. It's nothing more than a a charade. There's no power here. There's no life-changing message here. We lack credibility. People in communities look upon churches with suspicion and disdain today. They do so because we profess, listen, we profess to possess something, and we profess that our lives are different, but many times the world comes and sees that we're no different than they are. And that needs to change. We need to be different than the rest of the world. It isn't that Christ is powerless or our faith is powerless. It's that we have not implemented the teachings of Jesus into our own lives. Let me ask you something this morning. There's some stronghold of the devil that has taken hold of your life that you just seem, that little sin that seems to be setting in your life and you just keep tripping over it, over it, over it. I'm telling you, it's not that Christ isn't powerless to change it. It's just that sometimes we just don't willi- aren't willing to make the sacrifice and fo- finally get fed up with it. And I'm just simply saying, if we're going to be life changers, if we're going to be world impactors, we have to be willing to pay a price to be different and have the power of God upon our life to make that difference. Christians lack character and integrity. Think about this. We we find in our churches divorce and abuse and financial impropriety, lying and moral failures, all blights and testimonies on Christianity today. Now, now I understand that Christian people are are human. But I'm telling you that uh, while our churches are going to have people in them that are, are, are perhaps having problems and they, uh, that should be part of what happens in a church that lives are revolutionized. But for those of us who know Christ, for those of us who are leaders, for those of us who are supposed to be uh, those who are uh, making a difference, then, then we have to show that difference in the way that our lives are, the way that our families are. Instead of holding the line in the realm of Christian living, many within the Christian community think we're okay if we just stay a step or two behind the world. We're satisfied with going to church but not being different. Yet we're not helping our world and we're disappointment to our Savior. I'm here to tell you that the cause of crisis hurt when, when supposed Christian marriages produce families that are dysfunctional. There are many Christian husbands and wives that live in misery because they fail uh, in their being in their home and everyday life what they ought to be. They're filled with self and their own agendas and they make life miserable for each other. 
their children, think about this, growing up in a family where mom and dad don't really love each other, show the love of Christ every day in their, in their life. Those children grow up and, and see that hypocrisy and they say, what's the use? I'm just simply saying, if we're going to be world changers and difference makers, we've got to have the power of God in our life. We have to. It's amazing to me that we have, in quote, the Christian realm today, churches that are pro promoting social drinking. They won't stand against homosexuality or the transgender activism in our communities. They're woke in the realm of social justice and other matters that are popular in the culture. Look, people don't come to church to hear me preach about my opinions. They don't come to, for me to speak about politics. They come because they're wanting a word from God and they want the word of God open and they want it rightly preached and divided. I'm telling you, there's power in the word of God today. There's power when the word of God is open and it's preached and it's preached within the context of the, the Bible and what it really means. And so, again, I, I would simply say that we can help our world and, and, and make our world a, a different if we preach the text within the context. But worldliness is very much alive in our churches in, in, in all of a, uh, with a spiritual spin. The cause of crisis hurt when churches are divided over petty, non-essential issues. When people get their feelings hurt so easily and people talk and gossip about petty living that divides us. Think about these, these things and a hundred other things, if, if we're not careful, make us anemic and lacking the power of God upon our lives. Now notice the text goes on, look at verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. See, the problem that was a problem to the disciples isn't a problem at all to the Son of God. He had the power to cast out this demon with just a word. Both Mark and Luke give us a graphic description of the resistance to this devil in the young man, but yet the devil was powerless. Listen to what Luke says in Luke 9, 42. And when he was yet coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. So in his description, as this child is being brought, this devil begins to resist and tears at this child and throws him to the ground. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed that child and delivered him again to his father. What a moment that must have been. Mark chapter 9, verses 25 to 27 says, And when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit and saying to him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was one as dead. Insomuch they said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I'm telling you what a moment that was when Jesus spoke those words, when Jesus did this action. I'm telling you that man stood in awe of the power of God. He stood in awe of it. So what a moment. So the question we have to ask, and that brings us to my third thought this morning, of the details that are found here. Verse 19 shares, if you would, the embarrassment of the disciples. Look, look at it, would you please? And came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why, why could we not cast him out? Now you may say, well, it's the devil. His power, why would, they, why would they make this statement to the Savior? Well, I don't want you to turn there, but if you want to jot this down, Matthew chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. Earlier, Jesus had given these disciples power over unclean spirits. So in other words, when he gave them power, they had the ability to go out and cast out these devils. They could have done this. That's what the implication is. So that's why they're saying, okay, 
Why, did we, why weren't we able to deal with this one? So this disappointment on the part of, of the man, the disappointment on the part of the Savior is also a disappointment, if you would, on the part of the disciples. Why were we powerless? Why, why couldn't we do this? Well, Jesus responds to them. Look at verse number 20. And he said unto them, because of your, notice the phrase, unbelief. Your unbelief. Jesus was saying you thought you could do this because, listen, because you've done it in the past. You didn't approach this matter with faith or dependence on God. You thought you could handle this. You, you've handled other cases, but your lack of faith left you with the inability to deal with it and with no power. Can I remind you that the Christian life is a, a life of faith? Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We as Christians, we cannot just float through life. If Christ is going to make a difference, he, we must be diligently seeking God in faith in every day. Their, their faith is, lack of faith is telling because what Jesus says next. Look, look what he says. He says, for I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. So, so let me help you understand what I think is happening here. Again, there's implications that what, from what Jesus is saying. You approach this with a lack of faith. In other words, they got so used, if you would, to doing it. That, hey, this is just everyday stuff. This is just what we do. And let me help you as students understand something. When you get into ministry, there are routines that become a part of ministry. It's like, okay, when I was pastoring, I had, a, I had a class that I was teaching. I was teaching in our Bible Institute. I was having at least three preparations a, a, a week and as far as sermons were concerned. And you learn to get into some routines. I mean, I had some structure that was a part of my life as a pastor. I needed to have that. I, I tried to keep my calendars clear. I tried to program these times of study and preparation. And I got to tell you that if you're not careful, you can almost become a machine in what we do for God. Some of you may think that's a little bit strange, but I'm telling you that you preach enough, you stand before people enough, you talk enough, you teach enough, it gets to the point almost, I can do this. But that's a problem. It's a problem when I think I can do it. I've always got to remember I can't do it. I can only do it as Christ works through me and in me and empowers me. And I must constantly plead for that power. And I must constantly say, Lord, I can't do this. I don't know if you have a quiet time with God. I sure hope that you do. When you get down on your knees, the first thing you ought to say to God is, God, I can't live the life you want me to live today without your help. See, we can get so used to being college students and going through the motions and going to the classes and how we look and how we present ourselves that, it, hey, hey, we can do this. We're, we're almost professionals at it. God deliver us from professionalism in the realm of Christianity and God help us understand that we're nothing but a, a piece of dirt that God allows to have some breath in it and, and without his help and without his power, I can't make a difference in this world. And you will, won't either. Brother Getch and 
Brother Rasmus and Brother Lester, Brother Weaver could all probably tell you about students from years gone by that have come through this institution and they had gifts. There are some people that are just very gifted in the realm of communication. There are some that God gives the gift of oratory. And I mean, for them to be able to, to, to take a Bible message and be able to, uh, you know, parse it down and, and, and outline it and then stand up and deliver it as if the, they just have this golden tongue. And, and I'm telling you, I can remember young people when I was in Bible college, I'm just telling you, I stammered and stuttered. I still do at times stammering and stuttering sometimes and preaching a message. And, 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 and I tell you that when I graduated from Bible college, nobody, nobody would ever think that I would ever be be able to preach in a place like this or pastor the church that ended up pastoring and I got news for you they were right I couldn't do it but there's a God in heaven who can empower us to do it and gives us the grace and the ability to and I don't care who you are today you may think well I'm so insignificant nobody here really knows who I am I'm not one of the leaders among the college but I'm telling you that if you have a heart for God and you have a desire for God and you give yourself to God God can take your life and do something powerful through it and he wants to their lack of faith is telling. There's no question about it. Jesus said, if you just have a faith of the grain of mustard seed. You know, mustard seed's an interesting thing. It starts out very small, but becomes this very large plant. So I think what's happening is that mustard seed in their life that was planted has become thwarted, if you would. And, and I, I believe that they got so used to Jesus doing miracles and them doing miracles, it just became commonplace. So that's why Jesus says to them in verse 21, Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by, notice, prayer and fasting. If you want to deal with this kind, he said, you must pray. You know, I think every once in a while God brings us up to those walls. In other words, we hit this wall, so to speak, in our life. I'm preaching, but I'm not seeing results. I'm teaching, but I'm not seeing lives changed. I'm witnessing, but I'm not seeing people come to know the Savior. You know what those walls are? Those are walls that are very telling in our life saying, you need to pray more. You need to get disciplined more. You, you need to seek God more. It's not about your ability to take someone down the Romans road. You know, you can, you can say that in your sleep, but I'm telling you, that's not going to impact anybody. People don't get saved because they say a little prayer. They get saved because the Holy Spirit of God works in their life and draws, him, draws them to the Christ. And I'm just simply saying that if we're not careful, we can, we can say, well, I've done this. I, I can do this. And yet God brings us to these walls to help us to say, I can't do this. I, I don't want to do this in my own power, in my own flesh. I, I don't want to become a professional in the realm of my, my profession of, of ministry. I want to be somebody that lives in dependence on the Holy Spirit of God. And, and that shows in my prayer life and in my prayer closet. That's how it's changed. If you're serving the Lord in any capacity, we can't get so used to doing it that we think we don't need God. We can't just assume that God is going to bless our efforts. We must have faith and we must seek God to bless our efforts. Would you notice that fasting is just a discipline to the flesh so that the Spiritual dimension is more aware. See, see, some people have this idea, you know, I'm going to fast and I'm going to somehow, that, that's going to move God. Fasting doesn't move God. I, I want you to know that. What fasting does is it disciplines your flesh so you become more tuned to God. 
In other words, I'm taking some pleasure out of my life. I'm, I'm setting some things aside so that I can become more intense in my prayer life, in, in, in my approach to God. It's not that God is moved by it, but I'm moved by it. And so Jesus said, hey, it's prayer and fasting that makes a difference. Truth is, we can get used to doing the work of God in our own strength. We can go through the motions. However, if we really want to impact the world, we must do what we do for God with his power. So let me ask you this morning as we're kind of wrapping up chapel here today, how's your prayer life? How is it? You say, well, Brother Folger, you, you don't understand we're busy here in college. You know, they keep us busy from the time we get up to the time we go to bed at night. And, you know, we got classes and activities. Can I, can I tell you the busier, the more you need to pray? It's not a time to cut prayer out of your life. It's a time to intensify your prayer. Find you a spot here on this campus, someplace where you meet with God. Maybe it's a little more difficult in a dorm situation, but that's why you need some place where you go apart. Find your place to say, this is my place. This is where I, where I meet with God. My pastor and it's been in the heaven now since 2010. Brother Roy Thompson talked about being a young Christian. God had called him to preach and got saved at the old Akron Baptist Temple when I think he was about 19 years of age. And he said, I, there was a, a place called Lake Anna in Barberton, Ohio. He said, I found my, my place there. He said, I would go apart and I would just get alone with God there at Lake Anna. I just plead with God that he'd do something in my life and through my life. I'm telling you, you need to have a place where you meet with God. You need to have a time. And we ought to be talking to God throughout our day, but I'm just simply saying, start your day with God. Don't, don't wait to the end of the day to meet with God. Start your day with God. I'm telling you, before your feet hit the ground, your first prayer is to say, God, I can't do this today. I can't. I don't know what I'm going to encounter today, who I'm going to encounter today, but I know I can't make a difference unless you help me. And I want my life to count for you today. And I don't want to get so used to just doing what I do. I, I, want, I want to be controlled. I want to be, I want to be filled. I, I, I need your power. Can I tell you the biggest thing that's lacking in our lives today, the biggest thing that's lacking in Christianity today, look, our world is changing. It, it is, and it's becoming more and more corrupt. But I'm telling you, just because the world's corrupt, we've got a power that's greater than the world. Sometimes we can be intimidated by the world. We can be intimidated by what's going on out there. But I'm telling you that if you get the Holy Spirit of God working in your life and empowering you, you're not afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The problem is, is that we can become professional. We can get used to doing it. And all of a sudden we realize, I'm not making a difference. And you will never make a difference. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how great you can sing. I don't care how wonderful you can, you can speak. I don't care how wonderful a school teacher you are, or a Sunday school teacher, or a preacher you are. You will not make a difference without his power. You may, have, you may have a gift, but without his power, you won't change lives. And you will not impact this world. And the disciples learned a very hard lesson this day, but it was a good lesson for them to learn. Man. How we need the power of God. How I need the power of God. How the church needs the power of God. How you need the power of God.